All right, all right. Welcome back, everyone. We really appreciate you being on here. Thanks again. This is Jeff Lambert um, coming to you. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. However you're digesting and absorbing the information today, we appreciate your following. We appreciate your, your trust and um, being a valued listener and a viewer for us. Today, I want to welcome Dr. Uh, Flo uh, Dr. Jose Flores, a uh, very special guest today. He is incredibly important in the West Michigan Hispanic community. Um, I could give you a five-minute intro and a bio like um, some of the top-tier guys do. I'll be there someday. Um, or I could just, you know, open it up to you, let you know, uh, give us a little bit of history on yourself. Tell us about where you've been. Tell us about what you're doing right now and what your intentions for the future are. A little bit about your education background, a little bit about your, your professional history. And we'll kind of open it up. We've got some questions and we'll get to know you a little bit better. So, Dr. Flores? Thank you. Um, it's an honor to be here, Jeff. Uh, Thank you. Appreciate what you're doing uh, for West Michigan and and certainly for uh, for the global community as we are certainly in a cyberspace of um, yeah we are you know, communication network here. And so you never know how far reaching uh, your your efforts uh, will actually extend. But I'm certainly that I'm certain that uh, um, someone's watching. You know, yeah, and, yeah. and certainly a higher power higher power involved in, in, uh, in your motivation and in your purpose. So uh, you. congratulations. Um, <clears throat> I am uh, Jose Flores. Uh, uh, oftentimes the first question that comes to people's minds is uh, where are you from? <laughs> Who are you and where are you from? So um, I'm, I'm uh, one of the children of, uh, of um, native born United States citizens, uh, uh, my mother and father but whose grandparents came uh, during, uh, or whose parents came during World War I to the United States. And, uh, <clears throat> and we located in, uh, in uh, Texas, came up here in, at an early age of three years old to Michigan, uh, following the migrant farm worker stream. And settled out here in Grand Rapids. I really know it's Grand Rapids. Um, I've been to Texas a couple of times and just uh, for, to visit family and whatnot. But my experience has been uh, West Michigan, Grand Rapids, Michigan. Um, I, I graduated from, from Central High School, went off to Eastern Michigan University, um, earned my bachelor's in education uh, uh, with a focus on U.S. history and, uh, and, a, um, and an interest in bilingual education. I uh, was quite an activist on campus, um, you know, worked during those days for, for the civil rights movement, uh, I was uh, what, what we called ourselves a, a, a Chicano, Mexican-American who understood uh, his place in America and, and was, you know, basically uh, dedicated myself to eliminating some of the stereotypes, um, some of the uh, disenfranchisement that goes on in, in, the, in the country with respect to, to economic and political power and uh, wanted to change things. wanted to increase the number of, of um, of Hispanic Americans, we use that term today, Hispanic, Latino, Latinx, whatever you want to call us. Um, in those days, it was a Chicano. And uh, we wanted to increase the number of, of uh, Chicanos on campus, uh, increase the number of, of, um, of Hispanic Americans that, that could benefit from education and contribute to our society. And that has kind of been, you know, a, a purpose that I've had uh, that stuck with me uh, uh, lifelong. It's, uh, it's how can I impact uh, a community uh, with the knowledge that I gained at Eastern Michigan University with my bachelor's. 
came back, <clears throat> worked uh, for Grand Rapids Public Schools as a teacher, um, and thereby uh, implementing a lot of those ideas. Um, I felt that that <clears throat> the recognition of, of U.S. history and what role we play in the development or played in the development of this country and also today play every day um, in making sure this country uh, reflects us all and <clears throat> and that uh, and that they recognize that that we're we're an integral part of the people and in the United States and uh, and that we serve in every capacity that we've served in every defense of the nation that we we uh, have a, a, a very detailed history in the United States and I brought that <clears throat> back to the classroom in teaching young people to be proud of themselves no matter where they came from uh, to live with purpose and uh, then I earned my master's at at uh, Grand Valley State University and uh, as I was uh, teaching for taught for 17 years uh, kind of a, a mixed service because in the middle of, of my career I I uh, went into administration and uh, and served as the the instructional uh, and administrative leader for uh, bilingual education, migrant education, immigrant education, Native American education, and uh, what we called compensatory education, targeting students that were behind. <clears throat> and in that capacity, um, I was uh, the control officer for about five million dollars for the district. Traveled all over the country, met people from from uh, various uh, educational backgrounds, and uh, with very innovative ideas, brought back six national excellence programs to, to Grand Rapids, focusing in on, on uh, different uh, educational approaches to, to try to um, impact the children that had the most um, uh, severe learning disadvantage, if you will. And so we then initiated programs for them and uh, they were very successful. Uh, we set up uh, what was called a clinical school so that you could practice different trends in education, different models of, of reaching kids, and, uh, and, and such as distance learning, such as uh, theme-based education, such as kinesthetic approaches to, to educating children uh, as examples, okay? Um, we then implemented uh, distance learning. We, we were the first to bring in uh, computers that had digitized voice in English and Spanish to work with preschoolers, preschoolers through through uh, uh, high school, and uh, in doing so, <clears throat> of course, you know you you build the uh, programs and and um, and of course there's always people who are who are uh, for some reason uh, not impressed with you or not impressed with uh, <laughs> what you do. We call them the haters, right? And please and everybody. So, yeah. yeah, everybody. And so even though we we um, we built a very unique program, involved uh, Wayne State University professors, put them here on site to teach our teachers how to teach, um, and to meaning meaning that to teach in different ways because we all you know we're we're very capable and, mm -hmm. of, of teaching, but to teach with different models and with a reflective practice in mind, and so um, you know that doctoral team, uh, we set up kind of a um, kind of a pyramid structure with the doctoral um, uh, professors teaching the master's level uh, teachers and then the master's level teachers could impact the bachelor level uh, teachers 
who were working toward their masters and their bilingual education endorsements. And it worked marvelously, marvelously. We, we had a very unique program. And, uh, and, and I um, wound up writing my dissertation on the impact of that program on migrant children. <clears throat> Hold on, you, you did all of this while you were working on your master's? Yes, while I was working on my doctorate. Oh, okay, okay, okay. While all I was right. working on my wow. doctorate, I earned my master's uh, from Grand Valley State <clears throat> University in education with a focus on bilingual education while I was working uh, with the district as a teacher. So, you know, I never stopped learning. You know, I, I, uh, I really uh, believe that, you know, we, we, we have to live with purpose. And, and one of the things that I saw in education was, was that there was an, an underrepresentation of, of Hispanic Americans in teaching and in administration. And yet there was a, a dramatic increase of students in the district taking place annually that uh, we needed to to close the gap between people of color in in the classroom in the front of the classroom as teachers and and, and people of color in administration <clears throat> um, and including hispanic americans um, to m better match the population that is being served so, so just in, in simple terms so i make sure i'm understanding a lot of Hispanic American students, not so many in education that are teaching the students. Correct. Okay. Correct. Okay. During that time and to present, we went from being a very small population, somewhere you know around three percent, to about to to today where we're about thirty nine percent, where where in fact we are the largest minority group in in the um, the Grand Rapids public schools. And, and you're saying Hispanic Americans is encompassing all uh, oh, well, Mexicans, Cubans, and any Latino. Yeah. So I mean, that's me. My my mother was born in Cuba in Havana. So right. yeah, yeah. So so in, in, when when we do that, then we can empower these these children. But but the absence of recognition that these children are important, that they must be educated, that mm -hmm. they must have the resources to follow them, that they must. Uh, recognize that their language is an asset and not a deficit. Mm -hmm. All those things come from a change in mentality by the leadership of a district, from superintendent yeah. or from board of education on down yeah. uh, to the classroom. Otherwise, you're not going to uplift these children. And if you do not uplift these children, they have become a critical mass. No longer can we say, well, they're only 3%. No, they're, they're, they're uh, nearly half of the population that you have to serve. If you fail to reach them and teach them, if you fail to accelerate their learning, if you fail to increase their success, then the whole system is impacted. All of your numbers are flat. You're an ineffective school district if you cannot reach and teach and educate properly the children that represented that are represented in this mass, this critical mass of, of students. So getting people to understand that and to accept that and to eliminate their, their inbred biases has been one of the, 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 the greatest obstacles that I have faced in my educational career. Okay. Uh, I'm elected to the Board of Education, re-elected to the Board of Education, so I'm in my second term. And I have had to fight an uphill battle just to get on the board and then to retain my seat on the board 
and to impact the colleagues on the board that I work with and the administration. So I've what, go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna, building on that, um, <clears throat> so we talked a little bit about the disproportionate numbers between the number of Latino Americans, Hispanic American students versus teachers that they can relate to. Um, was there a, a Aside from that being a disadvantage, were the were the students? I'm going to use it because you had said um, Native Americans as well. Like, uh, yes. Was there a, an educational disadvantage as well? Were they just they they were behind educationally? At some point, when you when you started implementing this, you started to work toward this. Was there a, a great you know the majority of your Caucasian students in the area were you know B and A students, and the majority the the non-relatable minority students for this term. We'll just use that term right yes. now. Yes. So Latino students were more of like C and D students because of the lack of relatability? Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Okay. And there was not a, method, a methodological approach to eliminating the, the instructional gap that existed between um, majority students and minority students. And that's, that's what, what we targeted. And the resources weren't there nor was the commitment. Even today, even today, we're looking at a district that is struggling with issues of equity and equality. That is- That blows my mind because mm -hmm. I know that the, the population is, is continued, like you said, from three to 39, four, it's probably a little bit more than that maybe at this point, but it's just, it's staggering what, what you just said. Well, After it, my almost 40 years acknowledging that, it's still like, it's so off. Sure. And, and then, and then Americans will ask, well, you know, why, you know, why aren't these uh, children learning? You know, or, mm -hmm. you know, they think we're all uh, immigrants from from yesterday that we just crossed the border, you know, and and that's and that's uh, the stereotype we have to change. Mm -hmm. You know, many of us here were here before the United States became the United States. We are descendants of the original indigenous people who were here throughout the Americas, the Western Hemisphere was, was uh, we'll use the word discovered, okay? Discovered and colonized. <laughs> it was conquered and colonized. The people were conquered and colonized. And we continue to have that mentality of a colonized race mm -hmm. in the Americas. Those indigenous people that, that um, are made up of the Mexicans and the Cuban Americans and, and the, the, the uh, Puerto Ricans and mm -hmm. the Dominicans and, and the Colombians and the Venezuelans and the Costa Ricans and the, and the Guatemalans and the Mexicans, and then all of the Indian groups of the Americas. And I always say to people, if you really know your American history, you know, list 10 Native American groups. Let's start with the Apache, the Yaqui, the Navajo, the Hopi, the, the uh, Wanampag, the, the Pima, the, the Crow, the Sioux, the Cheyenne, you know, the uh, Huron, uh, the Potawatomi, and on and on, the Osceola, you name them. If you know your history, your American history, you'll know that we we were involved in every major defense of the United States, even the Revolutionary War for Independence. We're people that have never denied our Americanism, and and that that needs to be taught to our children so that they can identify with this nation and the values of this nation, and in every every aspect from politics to religion to sports to uh, art, to, um, to um, um, 
I think I said education, right? Mm -hmm. We have contributed to military defense. We've contributed. And so those are the kinds of uplifting messages that we have to give to our kids so that they can feel empowered. And, uh, and you know, earlier we were talking uh, before the show about, about living with purpose. Well, that is a purpose. And that's one that I've carried, you know, <clears throat> front and center in, in my teaching and in my advocacy and in my uh, role in the community is to try to change the images that people have uh, about our population so that we can somehow live harmoniously with other groups. Because if you do not know who you are, you cannot appreciate the, the contributions of others. Sure. And so, you know, I made sure I took American history, which is basically history of, 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 uh, of a white majority. It's kind of the European coming in, because everything you were talking about with, with Native Americans, all the different, the, the, the Native Americans, the tribals, so you name them, I wouldn't be able to give you 10. And I bet 99% of the people out there, if you were to take a microphone to the streets, like some popular TV shows, you get the same thing. People would name the same three or four, and they'd go, I don't know. Right. Unfortunately, it's really, you know. <clears throat> so, so if you empower people and you and you give them those <clears throat> those uh, uh, those basic um, uh, knowledge of the cultural groups that make up this mosaic of Americans that we that we have in the population, and you you teach them Native American history, you teach them African American history, teach them uh, Hispanic or Chicano Mexican American history, and and uh, Cuban Latin American history, right? You, you're you're able to then give them a sense of who belonging, you know, a sense of belonging, and you're able to remove the stereotypes that they have to combat every day, and so you know it, it takes away that notion of people saying you know uh, go back to where you came from, you know. Oftentimes <clears throat> when people say to me go back to where you came from, I say well you know I don't have very far to go, you know. <laughs> If I feel spin. like that's just, uh, I'm sorry, man, I'm going to call it out. That's just a, 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 a white ignorance thing is yep. what we look at it. And I, and that's all, I'm just going to leave it at that. I mean, we could go into, yeah, I'm just, yeah. yeah I've, I, I've heard that when people find out that, that I don't get it a lot, because I guess I have the features of a little bit of both Caucasian and Hispanic. And it's not glaringly Hispanic, but people have said that to me in the past in slightly derogatory terms, you know, send your mom back to where she came from. Kind of like, are you kidding me? Yeah. No, oh, man, she's been, she's been in this, in this city longer than your parents have been alive. You know, what are you talking about? Anyway. Exactly. And, and I've always asked people, well, how many generations is it going to take for my, for my people to become American? So, so let me, I want to kind of go back up to this here. So this has been, it sounds like a lifelong thing for you, at least since college, probably before then. When did you feel like this was your, your purpose to empower people? When did you feel like this was like, I need to do this, nobody else is doing it? Or maybe that wasn't your feeling. Well, it, yes, it, it was. I, I started very young. It, it was, you know, I was uh, actually uh, about 16 or 17 years old when I became involved in a, uh, in civic activism here in Grand Rapids. And it was during the civil rights movement. So I, you know, I was involved with the Cesar Chavez boycott uh, of lettuce and grapes. Um, I was involved with, uh, with protesting against the war in Vietnam. Um, you know, I was involved in, in um, 
and pushing for, for uh, bilingual and multicultural education studies uh, in, in the colleges and increasing our, um, our presence in, in uh, colleges. Came back to Grand Rapids and uh, helped form the Hispanic Center of Western Michigan, uh, helped uh, form the, the uh, actually, you know, they call me a co-founder of the Hispanic Center of Western Michigan and the, um, the Hispanic uh, Festival that's held annually downtown. Um, there again, focusing in on Americanism, on, on our participation in, in, enrolled in this, in this uh, country and, um, and trying to promote, uh, you know, a positive recognition of our culture as being part of the American mosaic of cultures. And so uh, in doing that and then bilingual education, all those fit into my purpose. And I always, I always advise people live with purpose. What is your purpose? Oh yeah, absolutely. And and looking at it now in retrospect, you know, I gave up making, you know, the the hundreds of thousands of dollars that I probably could have made in real estate, or could have made in construction, or could have made in in uh, in teaching, or in uh, in in a law profession per se, or um, or some other um, more lucrative. Uh, uh, area of concentration, but <clears throat> I have impacted thousands of children who have now become adults, who now have their own children. And so when I look at that and, I, and, and I'm, I'm often confronted with people who I taught, who will tell me, you know, after giving me a hug and, you know, showing their appreciation for me, um, you know, they tell me that I made a big difference in their lives. And that that is um, that is uh, certainly rewarding, and um, it's not money, but it's it's rewarding. And I have I feel like that that's I feel like sorry to interrupt, but that's so much. I mean, money is is to chase money is not a good thing. It can be used as a tool for these things, but to get that re response in feedback, you know, however many years, a decade or more later, from those that you've taught, say you impacted me more than or about as much as you know anybody else and then their impact they're able to impact their own children and it's just um kind of like that pyramid model you said the doctoral teaching the master the master teaching that it's like you right. and then branching out to all of your students the students students you know these kind of things um and that's been something i mean it you know several decades of your life the majority of your life at this point i'm assuming Absolutely. you know has been a huge thing now when your shift to from being an, an actual educator a teacher in the classroom to administration was that to expand your capability to reach more people to make a bigger difference in the community and influence more schools than just the one you were in yes i saw it as an opportunity to uh to impact the masses and and okay. i made that conscientious decision to do so and when I went in as director of bilingual education, we had something like 13 staff. And we were, you know, actually about $300,000 in the red. Um, and I took that program to 5 million in the black and uh, to 125, at least 125 staff. And what I did was I also impacted the district by, by creating a vehicle where tutors that were, or college students, college level students, and, uh, and community members that uh, had not previously been recruited into the ranks of uh, teachers or parapros uh, were able to come in as uh, professional tutors. And we put those tutors in, in, um, in buildings where they had a large concentration of, 
of children who were learning English, who were not as adept in English. They're called, today they're called uh, English language learners, uh, but uh, back then they're called limited English proficient students. And so okay. it made a difference. Mm -hmm. And with uh, programs like that, um, you know, you can, you can impact uh, a greater number of students. And so that my impact, my impact was felt. Now having as many students as I, as I do, or as I did, excuse me, um, that are now <clears throat> adults in the community. When I ran for, for uh, Grand Rapids uh, Public Schools to become a board member, it was an easy uh, election. And I spent, I spent $500 my first, uh, my first uh, run, approximately $500. And others hmm. joined together to try to defeat me and I still was elected. And then when I ran for re-election, I had a slate of board members who opposed me, who ran, who to my exclusion, who spent, uh, I don't know, 10, 15 grand. Significant amount of money, yeah. Significant amount of money. And I spent maybe two grand, but uh, I outpaced all of them. Or not all of them, but, you know, because there was a, 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 a Me Too movement and, and the females came out great. You know, and I, mm -hmm. I, I don't mind uh, being second to females uh, that were sure. elected. <clears throat> but certainly those who orchestrated the, the slate, who have power on the board, traditional power, they, uh, I outperformed them. And so that sent them a message too. Now, why do you feel that you outperformed them? Well, I, I outperformed them in, in terms of the number of votes cast for mm -hmm. me as opposed to for them. Okay. So I beat them in numbers. Okay. And so that, that was kind of, I think, a slap in the face to them because, uh, you know, <clears throat> we, we, we live in a system where... That happened twice, you outperformed. Yeah, twice. Yeah, we live in a system where, where white male privilege is associated with governance. Hmm. And individuals like that were present on the board, still are. Okay. And uh, and we're we're able to carry the day politically, um, in creating opposition to me and sure. to my ideas. Sure. Because I'm an advocate. I'm a reformer. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't believe that you should just be placed in educational roles because of your color or because of political cronyism or because of nepotism. Mm -hmm. And I'm opposed to nepotism. I'm opposed to cronyism. Uh, I, I support quality instruction through competent individuals and you must be competent in order to be in a classroom or be an administrative role or a leadership role and i won't i won't back off of that good good so you, you had mentioned in the past you had talked about being 16 years old participating in um, um just being active and all that who who primarily influenced you i have to believe but without knowing the answer i don't want to assume anything that your parents may have had a role in, in influencing you and starting your your civil activities well my my first organization was uh was was called the mexican american uh youth organization mayo okay. and and we were basically influenced by civil rights activists that uh from what I understand, went all over the country, um, targeted from or, or beginning from Texas, 
where the kind of Mexican-American uh, youth movement uh, uh, sprung out of. But in doing research later, I see that it was really part of a national movement. Uh, Colorado, California, Arizona, all of these uh, Southwest um, uh, or Western states uh, actually had young people rising up in numbers and organizing. So much like uh, the youth today in, in uh, many of the, the movements, there was, it was part of a national movement. And so- and this was far before social media, anything oh, like that? Far before social media, yeah. So if there were three, three key people or three key elements that influenced you the most, what or who would those be? Well, <clears throat> it would be uh, from the Mayo organization, the, 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 the guy who taught us about Chicano and the Chicano movement, um, his name was Gonzalo Moya. And I, I remember that for the rest of my life because he was a, he was a, a, a good influence in, in, uh, in getting me involved. Um, but then there were national leaders that I, I respected, you know, Cesar Chavez and, and, uh, and voices out there like uh, Corky Gonzalez that I, that I researched and, and uh, Jose Angel Gutierrez, people who, who during those days were, were very um, uh, big activists. And uh, and they there was even a Mario Campion and others that started La Raza Unida Party and I studied that and then I then I read a lot you know I read books of, <clears throat> about uh, African Americans too and leaders that that were involved in the movement so uh, just that whole civil rights uh, package of of, uh, of of voices and uh, allowed me to um, to um, uh, I guess define myself you know I'm you never really want to be someone else you want to be able to sort out ideas that people people have and then see what fits with your own perspectives and your own values but there was another person who who impacted my life and his name was Carlos Falcon and he was a recruiter for Eastern Michigan University and had he not visited our high school and demanded to to speak with all of the Hispanic students, I would probably never have gone to, to uh, the university. So dare I say, him doing that led you to do what you're doing yes. from the relatability standpoint. Yes. That's, that's awesome, man. Can you imagine if he never did? I mean. I, I, I would probably wow. be working in a factory or maybe, wow. maybe, maybe retired. Um, you know, because I worked in factories. I, I, I'm a workaholic. I, yeah. um, you know, from working in the fields to uh, working in restaurants, to working in factories, um, and to, to becoming a teacher and then a professional and, um, and then a volunteer uh, uh, community agency director mm -hmm. um, and grants writer. I mean, I, I learned all of the different skills. And then, um, and then I launched my magazine uh, uh, yeah, let's talk about that for a minute. La Voz? Yeah, La Voz. <clears throat> Actually, the Community Voice La Voz was, was, launched, was launched with uh, a, a young man named Tito Veneza, who, who uh, worked with us at the Hispanic Center. Mm -hmm. And he and I sat down and we talked about, you know, an idea um, of, of doing a newsletter for the Hispanic Center. And it, it flourished from our conversations. We said, you know, let's, let's do a little bit bigger, you know, and, and he, was a, he was a motivator too. And, and he went on to get his doctorate in uh, multicultural education. So he's, uh, 
he's out there too. He he was selling uh, Shackley. Um, uh, oh, the supplements, the vitamins. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. he went all of the different uh, products, and yeah. he and his wife uh, really did well. They really did well with that program. Uh, went on to become I don't know diamond level or whatever you know sure. one of those higher levels in it. Uh, but during that time, he uh, he was very very strong with Spanish, and so we made a bilingual publication uh, for the Hispanic Center of Western Michigan. We ran that for a long time. After I left the Hispanic Center after ten years of service, um, uh, they were going to allow it to just die, <laughs> and I couldn't do that. I, I couldn't let them just uh, let it die. So I I bought it and uh, and took it and and privatized it. And uh, and used it as an educational tool, as a political tool, okay. and, uh, and as a cultural educational tool. And so it continues today. It thrives. Um, it uh, sends the positive messages. It uh, it helps a lot of people. It advocates for those who don't do not have the those voices that are being heard. Um, I have writers from uh, from different parts of the country. Uh, Alabama, California. I have a, a writer in Puerto Rico, a writer in Mexico, <clears throat> people that uh, across the state who who contribute their editorials on a number of topics. Um, we're both conservative and liberal, uh, mm -hmm. you know, uh, uh, religious, religious and and, uh, and uh, secular. So we're we're um, we cover the gamut of of, uh, of opinions. Nice. Well, we're getting close to time here. I know that you've got some things that you got to do. I got a couple final questions. I feel like we could do a part two and probably a part three because you've got a lot that you can speak of and it's a wonderful, wonderful, everything that you're doing is, is awesome, I think. And um, yeah, I appreciate you being on the show here. So there's a couple things that I wrote down that I don't think we have time for. I want to kind of close it out in a proper way though. Um, if you could step into my shoes and ask a question that I haven't asked, what would that question be? Um, you know, Jeffrey, you, you, you asked earlier, um, you know, uh, a, a real big question. You said, well, um, you know, uh, how involved are you with religion? Mm -hmm. And, um, and, uh, and yep, before we jumped on and recorded, yep. Yep. Right. Before we, and, and, um, you know, I, I said, you know, we're, we're all sinners, uh, and we are all, you know, um, perhaps not as deserving of, of, uh, of the Lord's grace, mm -hmm. but, you know, the Lord is 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 uh, very much a, a part of my life, and my relationship with Him is is a <clears throat> is a one to one relationship. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, I'm I'm not the first uh, <clears throat> the first in in church every Sunday. I'm not um, you know involved as a deacon or any leadership role. Uh, the church is important, um, but but more so uh, speaking to God, humbling yourself before Him. And, and giving him praise. I think that, that that is important. God has sent me angels throughout my life in every action where I have had um, a, a, a conflict or a controversy or a setback. Um, and I can, I can think even, you know, even this past week where I have benefited from praying, from, from uh, giving him praise, um, where you know, I didn't expect that benefit, but but certainly I given him that thanks every day for for the life that he gives us, um, and 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 thanking him for whatever purpose it is that he has me here for, and I know my own purpose. I try to live with purpose, 
And many times I'm there <clears throat> working at my store because I also have a little store and people come to me to ask for my help. And I'm either the resource or I am the, the advice that they need or I am that, that, uh, that action agent that, um, that I have to act on their behalf in order mm -hmm. to, to help them. Uh, but I really believe that God is sending them angels <laughs> and I happen to be that angel at that point. Yeah. Just as he has sent to me angels in my life when I have really needed those angels. Mm -hmm. And there are many times where I have needed them, believe me. And so um, That's awesome. Thank you for sharing I, that. I really, yeah. that, that's a wonderful message. And that's ultimately what my intention is, is to, to share that message with people in the community and from people in the community as well. Um, a couple final things here. So as far as people being able to reach out to you, communicate you, get more information on the Hispanic Center of Western Michigan, the Hispanic Festival, uh, the Community Voice, and, and your store, how, how do we, do you have online resources? Are you on all social media? How can we connect with you? We have a, we have a website at uh, www.lavosweb.com. And... Uh, and certainly anyone can uh, email me at, at drjflores1 at gmail.com. And, uh, and I don't mind people calling me if they want to call me. 616-581-6271. But, um, and I don't work just eight to five. <laughs> I work Workaholics out never do. I'm, I'm available. So, yeah. Uh, it's been a pleasure speaking with you, Jeffrey. I am, I'm honored to to be part of your show and uh, and certainly to meet you. Um, you know, Jose Infante. You said he's your uncle. Yeah, yeah, he is my my <laughs> uncle. Yeah, we talked about that ahead of the show. Jose Infante and I uh, we we worked at the Hispanic Center uh, mm -hmm. as board members and uh, and contributed our time and our and our knowledge base uh, to to the development of that organization. And and Jose is is a successful uh, um, administrator in the bank. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think it's what, uh, which bank is he with? I'm not sure where he's with now, but I know Community Shores Bank was, uh, was right. a big one several years ago. It's probably right. 10 years removed at this point, but yeah. But he's, he always had that banking and finance uh, mm -hmm. uh, background that we needed uh, at that time. So he was one of those angels that, uh, that God assembled in our in our administrative organization there at uh, the Hispanic Center. Thank mm -hmm. him too. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like there's a there's a an opportunity for a part two, and if you're open to it, we can work on that at some point too. Because there's a lot of things that I had intended to ask that we just didn't, with time restrictions, not but, able to cover. As we close out here, thank you for being on the show. I really appreciate it. I know our listeners will appreciate it too. Um, what you, you touched on it earlier, but closing out. What do you feel your purpose on the planet is? Um, I think that, that quite honestly, my, my uh, purpose has been to uh, educate um, children, to educate the community, the broader community, about the positive um, aspects about our, our cultural um, and ethnic group, and to try to reduce racism and, um, and bigotry. Uh, I think that those things, you know, come through education. Um, you know, I can't cure anyone of a disease. I can't, you know, repair bones that are fractured, but I can help to eliminate ignorance. And and bigotry mm -hmm. and racism are based in ignorance. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of a lifelong mission. 
I agree 100% all based on ignorance there. So again, thank you so much, Dr. Flores, for being part of the show. I really, truly appreciate your time. Uh, we're going to put all the stuff in the show notes here at the end and the resources that you provided and the connect, you know, how to connect with you and that. Um, I really appreciate it. It's been amazing on here and we'll see if we can do a part two some other time too. So I'll let you get out of here so you can open up shop and we'll talk again soon. Thank Thanks. you. Peace. Yep. Bye-bye.